Welcome back to the Darting Through the Faith podcast. I'm Father Sean Wilson, and with me is Julia Monin. How are you doing, Julia? Hi, Father Sean. I'm great. How are you today? Happy Easter. I'm doing great. Oh, happy Easter to you, too. Yeah, so we're recording this on uh, the Tuesday after Easter, celebrating the joy of, uh, of Easter. So, um, yeah, via Zoom again. Via Zoom, I know, right? Well, best we got right now, so make make use of it. But I want, can you talk to us about what liturgically is meant by the octave of Easter? Because I think that's something oh, yeah. that misses a lot of people, and we are in the midst of that right now. So what is meant by that? So an octave, like an octagon, you know, like mm-hmm. UFC fighting, the octagon. Right. Or like a stop sign. Okay, because you know, my mind went to stop sign, but I like where you're at there. That's good. Yeah, I forgot I wasn't talking to your husband. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, so an octagon has eight sides, eight days for the octave of Easter. So basically, we got a Easter, such a big uh, solemnity, a feast day that we celebrate it for eight days. So if you go to mass or you live stream mass for any of the days of the octave of Easter, you notice that we, we do the Gloria every day with the octave of Easter. So that's that's great. Um, yeah. So it's basically like an eight day celebration. So there's an octave of Christmas that goes on for full eight days, octave of, uh, of Easter. And if you want to get me on a bit of a little um, sidetrack, we could talk about the octave of Pentecost okay. because before, so this is, this is total side story. Before the reforms of the second Vatican council, there was an Pentecost, the third biggest feast day also had an octave. And I don't know if I should be telling this story because it's only a rumor. And because there was all this, how the liturgical changes happened and whether Pope Paul VI was kind of hoodwinked by people or all of that sort of thing. So the story is the Monday after Pentecost, Pope Paul VI went to celebrate mass and in his, in the vestments set out were white, I think, for whatever, like it was a feast day, or maybe they were green because it was now an ordinary time. And he turns to the person who set up for mass and he says, you put out the wrong vestments. They're supposed to be red today. And, uh, and they, the person said, no, Holy Father, they're, they're not. They're green. He said, but it's the octave of Pentecost. And the person said, Holy Father, there is no octave of Pentecost. He said, well, who said that? He said, your, your holiness, you did. And uh, evidently, he started to weep. Um, so it's actually kind of a sad story, and um, there's there's a whole lot behind that. But maybe I shouldn't have told that. But anyway, <laughs> well, we who knows this, if it's true? We can put disclaimers and asterisks by that and say this is a rumored story, and it's just fun to think about yeah. and ponder about. But anyway, yeah. I do think that that's something that um, that perhaps we, even those of us that grew up in the church and have been going to church our whole lives something we miss is these high feast celebrations and, and this the octaves where if you're praying the liturgy of the hours which is always striking to me is like you are praying the same prayers as you're praying on easter sunday you're praying the same prayers like during like you said the christmas octave of christmas the same prayers you prayed on christmas day so it's like we're repeating this we're celebrating it for eight days and i think a, a personal um pet peeve of mine i guess if you will is like our Easter celebrating with the family gatherings, which I know we're kind of put on hold this year for so many people, but we try to like shove them all in on Easter Sunday, or maybe even we're celebrating before even Easter Sunday arrives. And it's like, we have eight days. That's an octave in Easter. And then we the Easter season is how many days long, Father Sean? 50. 
50 whole days where we celebrate liturgically right. the Easter season. So there's no reason to rush it. There's no reason to like get our celebrating in by Easter Sunday. So if you had to put your party on hold this year because of all of this, Pentecost is May 31st this year. So we have, we just, the Easter season is really just getting started. Maybe you'll be able to have your Easter party sometime in May and it's still Easter. Like we're still celebrating Easter. So perfect. Anyway, anyway, we're still yeah. celebrating, I guess is my point. And we are in the octave, the Tuesday of, of Easter. And so it's still a very high celebration at this point as well in the church. You got that right. You got that well, right. We should probably pray, huh? Oh, oh, should we have done that yet? Are you kidding me? Let's do, yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that comes forth from him. We ask that we may constantly be immersed in the grace of the resurrection, that we may come to know and love the power of Jesus' victory over sin and death. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> amen. amen. So, you know, our topic today is kind of fitting because it's kind of Easter related is about baptism, about yes. how baptism is celebrated. And it's kind of an Easter one because Easter is about baptism, a lot of it in, you know, like a lot of times we baptize people at the Easter vigil. It's uh, we renew our baptismal promises on Easter Sunday. The sprinkling rite during mass happens a lot during Easter. So, um so it's like somebody else is in charge of where this dart is being thrown. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's, it? It is very providential. We know that. There are no coincidences. Um, and I, you threw the dart beforehand before we started recording. Don't tell me yet, but he threw it before we hit the record button since we're not obviously doing this in the studio. And then he asked me if I wanted to be wanted to wait to know what it was. And so now I'm like, this whole can we just get done with this so I can find out where we're going next? Is what my mind wants to say. But yes, this week we landed on baptism. How is baptism celebrated? Which is paragraphs 1229 through 1245 is what we're discussing. And last week, when we landed on this and we announced this is where we were going, the question, how is baptism celebrated? Do you remember how you answered that? Did I say very carefully? You did say very carefully. I wrote it down. So I Because <laughs> we can just end right there. How is That's that it. celebrated very carefully? And so what else do you need to know? With water. <laughs> with water. Oh, now we're, it's really getting deep now. It's really getting I know. deep. Very Profound. carefully and with water. Um, and so, yeah. So that really sums it up. And so this has been Father Sean and Julia Monin, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I wonder how many people said, well, thanks for the permission to tune out. Probably my mom. <laughs> Is your mom listening to these? I don't know if she knows we're doing it. I know. See, I knew, that's it. You say that. You talk about it. And she's like, she's not listening because she doesn't know I'm doing this. Right. And that's a nice thing because then I can throw my mom's name around there and there's no repercussions. Is she catching your, uh, now that you're having to live stream masses, is she, is she catching you or following you on any of that? Yeah, her yeah. and my dad, her and my dad do, and my siblings. Actually, mm -hmm. yeah, funny story, yesterday, uh, the business manager, uh, Cindy, as I'm talking to her, she said, you know, we got a couple, got a couple donations from people I don't recognize, and she emailed one of them, and it was my cousin. My cousin very generously gave oh. to the parish for Easter, and, uh, and, the business manager emailed her and said, hey, you're not a registered parishioner. Do you want to? And she emailed back. She said, no, I'm just Father Sean's crazy cousin. I hope I hope he's not annoying you too much. But, oh. Thanks. <laughs> oh, thanks. that's really sweet. Yeah, so you have, so that's good. That extended, 
That's yeah. good. I totally, if, I mean, it has been, that's been one of the gifts is um, being connected with you in that way. I, I am a daily mass attender, but I often don't attend daily mass in our own parish because the times are, sorry, 7 a.m. is early. So, so anyway, it doesn't always work great in my schedule um, to attend mass. So that has been one of the benefits is, is hearing you and Father Jared and being connected with our parishes during daily mass. And, and I, I have appreciated that very much. So um, so I, I can see that your family would tune in with that as well. I totally would be doing the same thing. Yep. So, if all right, if let's my talk back. was a priest. All right, thanks. Let's do it. Thank you for yeah. calling us back. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it starts off with a section about Christian initiation, about coming, coming, becoming Christian, becoming um united to our lord and and so it kind of well it starts off with this this kind of process of of how this generally happens and this is in 1229 it starts with the, the proclamation of the word the acceptance of the gospel entailing conversion profession of faith baptism itself the outpouring of the holy spirit in admission to the eucharistic communion so baptism kind of follows this um this pattern or it, it's, a, I guess it's a place in this, this process of first, like nobody's going to present themselves to baptism unless they've, they've, um, they've accepted the faith, they've professed it. So at least hopefully, right? That is the hope, right? That is yeah. the, that is the ideal is that, yeah, you, you, you're doing this because you know, and then that brings into the question, which is a common, um, common area of confusion for a lot of people. And another reason that there's been a division within the church is in infant baptism. And you know, where, where does that come in? So how, how it gets to talk about that a little bit. So if that's the reality of the situation, which it is, and it should be right, that we've accepted the word yeah. that we, that this is leading from that, then why do we as Catholics baptize infants who obviously aren't at that place? Right. Well, that gets to paragraph 1231, right? Mm -hmm. Infant baptism has become the form which the sacrament is usually celebrated and part of it's just the belief of what baptism is and that you know that's that's a different section here about what is baptism that if it is this rebirth into christ this new life into god the forgiveness of original sin you want to give that as soon as possible right you don't want to so so all of the all of the um the questions you know the profession of faith that somebody makes before baptism is made by the parents Parents speak for their children in so many ways. Parents can open a bank account for their child. They can sign their, their child's doctor forms. You know, they, parents can do all this sort of thing. They choose what school the child's going to. So it, it only makes sense that the greatest gift a parent could give their children is one that they can, they can also speak for them at a young age too. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is the reality of it. I mean, even thinking of like parents, like, even thinking about choosing what your children are eating, like what you're putting on their plate. They're not even choosing like what food, you know, they're, they're eating, you're, you're making those choices based on your knowledge of what is best for them. Right. And so that's, what's happening in infant baptism is you as the parent are, are professing that faith for the child at that moment. Giving okay. them, giving them the greatest thing you ever can, you know? Amen. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Amen. It's true. It is true. True. So many, so many people get hung up about, you know, leaving a legacy behind to their children and leaving some sort of an inheritance to their children. And I'm talking about like financially or, you know, that type of yeah. stuff. And it's so unimportant and even incomparable to what we give our children in the gift of 
baptism when yeah. we do that. So, yep. So then the that next paragraph gets to to what happened kind of about what a uh, fifty five years ago with the Second Vatican Council, and there's all these reasons why with the expansion of what they call the right of Christian initiation of adults, so commonly called RCIA by its abbreviation. And RCIA, I mean, just a little bit about that, that that's, it's not, RCIA is not classes. That is not, because it's the rights. So the the RCIA is actually the the rituals, the, the rights that we go through in the church. So that's like, it basically what happens at a baptism is all of these adult rights encapsulated into just for the child for the infant baptism so the um right like the the different things that happen like the um uh, they enter the order of catechumens adults do that's one of the rites that they go through and so they're anointed with the oil of uh, catechumens well that happens like literally just before a baby's baptized we do that anointing and and so so the second vatican council thought it was expedient it was good to, to have these rights to have kind of uh, um, to do this, which was something the early church did. Now, people debate this, whether it's like, why did we bring up the, how, how early Christians became, became Christians? Why did we bring that back? Um, why did that seem fitting? Some people say it was, it was silly to, to bring that back. Um, because like, we don't celebrate the sacrament of penance the way we did in the early church where people would publicly confess their sins. They would have to sit in a specific section of the church before they could be readmitted after like a year of penance. Like, why didn't we bring that one back? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I'm having this vision of like in the center of a town, you know, a man or a woman standing with a sign over their neck. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so, but but anyways, that is what that is the the right of Christian initiation for adults RCIA. Um, yeah. Since you talked about that in the rights, let me ask you because often in this section, and again, this is the section on how is the sacrament of baptism celebrated. It talks often in here about two diff- two different rites R I T E S rites R I T E S, and it occurred to me as I was reading that to um, to the average person this might not be something that is knowledgeable or understanding. So can you talk about that a little bit, like what the different rights are within the church and, and how that came to be and all of that good stuff? Yeah, well, that could be a podcast in and of yeah, itself. Probably will be one day. But um, so, yeah, so rights like a, a ritual. So we call ourselves Roman Catholics, right? Mm-hmm. And and this all of this has a lot of historic, like history and theology are getting intertwined in culture do. So, of course, we know that the Peter, the first pope, goes to Rome, and the, all the popes are in Rome. And it's also, it makes sense because it's the political, it's the cultural, it's the communication center of the Roman Empire where Christianity is growing in there. Eventually, though, Rome begins to collapse, and they move to Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. And so that becomes like another center. And so as even in the empire, the the empire, the Roman Empire gets divided between the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire. So the Eastern being in Constantinople, the Western in Rome. And they start to split in so many different things, culturally, um, leadership, all those sorts of things uh, begin to split. And and so the church does, it begins to kind of, you know, there kind of two different traditions grow, the Western Romans and then the Easterns. 
And eventually it, it, for, it formally split in 1054. The churches did. The, the bishops of Rome and the bishops of Constantinople excommunicated, excommunicated each other. Over time, some of the, and then the Easterns, Eastern churches, they all kind of split culturally even more. So there's like the Greek Orthodox, the Byzantine, the, the Syro-Malabar, the Syro-Malancar, the, the Maronite. So all of them have a different, a different, so, and then some of them came back into union with Rome. So that's, there's a difference between Eastern Catholics, they're in union with Rome, we can receive communion there, and Eastern Orthodox who are outside of union. So they all have different, they're generally called the Eastern Catholic churches, but like the Ukrainian Catholics, the, the Syro-Malabar, all these different ones, I think there's 27, but then, and they all kind of follow these umbrellas of Eastern. And, uh, but they're in them, there's different rites, um, different ways the mass is celebrated. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a wormhole. There's a whole lot to learn. And I'm, I'm an amateur when it comes to the Eastern Catholic church, like they have Eastern Catholic church has their own code of canon law. So their own laws of the church. And basically what they, one of the things that's different you would see is, is with baptism. So Eastern Catholic churches at, at baptism, they give all the sacraments of initiation. So they'll, they'll baptize the child, they'll confirm the child, and then they'll give the first, the child's first communion through uh, a couple drops of the precious blood and just maybe a little particle of the body of Christ. So, so that's kind of the different traditions that have grown out of the church, pretty much in America. We only have experience with the Roman Catholic Church, but there's different, um, you know, you can go down to Dayton, Ohio, and there's a, there's a Maronite church, and, you know, you go to bigger cities, especially places where there's a lot of Eastern, like, Europeans, then there's a lot of Ukrainians, Byzantines, all that, so, yeah. Yeah, well, that, yeah, like you said, that it creates a wormhole of, of well, just a, an area where more study and um can, can always be gained, but that little what you just said was perfect. That gives us a little summary of of that that division, I guess. But then, like you mentioned, the two rites that are still under Rome, and that's what's talked about often in this section, is they're talking about the Eastern rites and the Western rites. And just to clarify that, like what you just right. said, like um, that it, it all falls under that that helm of of Rome, but it just is it's it's branching and it has its own like you said, rituals, right? right? Yeah, so and there's only one catechism, though. That's the good okay. thing. So like the Eastern Catholic Church, the same same catechism for the entire Catholic Church. So that's good. So it kind of has to, it has to nod its hat to the Western tradition mm -hmm. and to the Eastern tradition. So mm -hmm. catechism does that in baptism, because that's where the differences are, are some yeah. of the differences. Yeah, well, that makes so, sense. That makes sense why it's included in here throughout the section, because you, you, we read that. Um, where there's yeah. differences in the rites, it points that out in this, that in the Latin rite and the East and Eastern and in the Roman rite and the Western rite. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, good. All right. So then that, that kind of takes up that first section and then it goes into a section of the mystagogy of the celebration. And before we kind of dive into that, can you just define that for us as well? Because that might be a word. It's a word we hear maybe, but not maybe one that we totally understand. So can you, can you define that for us as well? Yeah, um, so mystagogy, it kind of comes from the word mystery. So this is actually a great little insight that the Eastern Catholic Church has. Instead of regularly calling them sacraments, they'll call them the mysteries. 
So the mystery is not like a Sherlock Holmes, like whodunit novel, like a mystery, we've got to figure out the answer, mm -hmm. but a mystery that you explore that the, the more you can keep, there's always more to uncover. So, um, so there's the, the, the seven mysteries, right, of the, of the church, of, of these, these kind of profound rites. And so the mystagogy is basically an exploration of the mystery. So it's kind of, it's a mystagogy uh, would be uh, kind of like a looking back, a reflection on the right. So this one with baptism is going to go through the rites, a rite of baptism, like the different parts of it. And it's going to try to illuminate what it means for us. So, you know, like lighting a candle. Why is that? What does that mean for us spiritually? So mystagogy is kind of this spiritual reflection on the rites that were celebrated. So you could do a mystagogy of like first communion. It's not the easiest thing to do with the second grader to talk about, you know, like, all right, why do we have the Our Father at this point? Why is the Our Father a necessary part of the rite? And, and even like the fun one for, you know, mass is like, why in the world does the sign of peace go there, right? Like we're about ready to receive Holy Communion and everybody goes around and starts shaking hands. Like, why? <laughs> I think there's a good reason. It's a different thing for a different day, but anyway. Mm, we'll come back to that. I, I've heard that good reason and it is good. I've heard you preach on oh. that before, um, but okay, oh. I'll, I'll remind you of that. We'll come back to that when that, when that comes to yeah. Okay, so that's what this section is going into. A look at all yeah. of these rituals and then this perhaps the spiritual, a spiritual take on all of that. Okay. Yeah. And it starts, right? So we can just kind of walk through the rite of baptism. Sure. And the, the, the fascinating thing, so the first thing is you do, and it's not mentioned here, is about asking the child the name. What name have you given your child? Um, and even at like the Easter vigil, first you call the people up by name and they say presence as if they're here. So it's, it's this kind of beginning that our names are important we are is uh is important that we're we're here of our own volition it's not just some random crowd that that's so funny that you say that and it's not funny it's just providence at work in the spirit working but today's gospel father sean this is tuesday oh, yeah. April 14th what is today's gospel about father sean oh my gosh it's um when jesus is in the it shows up mary magdalene's just kind of poking around in the tomb and mm -hmm. Jesus shows up, resurrected, of course, and she thinks he's the gardener, and he says her name. He says Mary, and she she turns, and she realizes it's him. It's when Jesus speaks her name, she believes. And, and that's so profound, and it, it always it's always striking to me. And in fact, just before we came together to record this podcast, I was putting a post on my author page about that very thing, about how our names are so meaningful and how we can spend time reflecting on that and, and reflecting on our own name and, and perhaps what our name means. Um, but anyway, it's just profound that you brought that up. And it does that that gospel from John um, with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And yeah, she's so distraught and doesn't recognize him. And then as soon as he hears, she hears him say her name, she recognizes him, of course. It's just striking. Changed. It's striking. Yeah. Okay, so this is where we begin in baptism with, um, with the name that's been given. Right. Okay. And then it moves to the, the sign of the cross, which is fascinating. Like we're going to, we mark the child or the, in the, you do this with an adult too, but actually an adult. So a child, we just mark the sign of the cross and invite the parents and godparents to do the same. Mm -hmm. There's this option during the, how, oh, which right is it? One of the rights for the adults, it might be the, oh, somebody's going to kill me for not knowing this, but you, you sign their heads 
their ears, their nose, all their senses, their feet, um, so that the cross may um, basically be branded over their entire being, which is, that's, I mean, you think about like the cross on a child, like you're going to get branded with the cross of Christ. Your life is going to be suffering, um, but yet Christ has borne this for you and he shares in your sufferings, even as a child. In my, in my, um, in my book, in one of the reflections I wrote, that could be one of our taglines, Christianity crosses guaranteed. Like it's like, yeah, yeah you're not getting around that type of thing. Right. And you're, yeah. You're like you said, where that's what we are. We're back being baptized and, and that sign is being put on us. Okay. All right. Then what? So then comes like a, a proclamation of the word. So there's a, in the, for the children, there's a couple, couple options for scriptures. And actually, there's a whole lot, uh, more than a couple. Um, I kind of just randomly flip the page and see whatever the Lord has in store and try to wing some sort of homily off of it. Sometimes it's crash and burn. Um, sometimes it's less crash and burn. But I, so I was thinking... That's funny. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go, go, go. So, um, like, the, the this is just something I was thinking about with the, the relationship between the scriptures and the rites of baptism. So like when you enter like the catechumenate and all that, those can happen any of the Sundays of the year, but there's three, these three scrutinies that happen during Lent that the readings have to be certain ones, even so that you can break the normal three-year cycle. So that's the first scrutiny is always the story of the woman at the well. The second scrutiny is always the man born blind. And the third one is always the raising of Lazarus. So you think like these three stories in John's gospel are so important important that the church wants to make sure that every adult convert has heard them mm -hmm. and has had them explained moderately well in a homily or you know, so it's, it's amazing it's like like these three are so important that everybody has to hear them it's awesome can i just tell you too the book that we that uh you got you gifted our parishes this year um the i thirst book with reflections yeah. from mother Teresa. The, the very opening of that book where it dives into the, that story of the woman at the well and it's giving you the symbolism behind everything, that is worth its weight in gold. And I, I you know, I've been very much involved in the life of my faith and, and studying scripture and reflecting and praying with scripture, but I had yet to have it put together for me like that until reading that book. Um, and whether or not you get past that in that book, like maybe some people haven't read it yet, but just even those few openings where it's just talking about that will radically change how you look at that story and what's actually yeah. happening. So um, even if that's all you read, <laughs> it would be worth that, at least in my humble opinion. And yeah, so, yeah. so um, yeah, so a profound, those stories are all profound stories of um, conversion and of how the soul grows, um, how the Lord transforms us into, um, yeah. into his likeness right um yeah so powerful yeah you, yeah you could go on for all of, i mean they're all just they're redonkulous thank you they are redonkulous yeah. <laughs> and when something's redonkulous you just can't say anything else that's true so yeah so let's move on so there's a all proclamation right. of the word at that point um and then then what father sean well so in here it talks about the exorcisms Mm -hmm. um, but I think in the, um, in the right of children, and it, it fits in in the Easter vigil, is the litany of the saints, 
that happens that we ask all the saints to uh, to invoke to ask all the saints that they may get to know this child, right? Like this is going to be one of the friends of the saints, hopefully. So it's almost like, hey, hey, you got a new friend out there, saints. Look after this little one or this mm-hmm. old one, this new one, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but then it goes to the exorcisms, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting that there, that there's a there's a little not an exorcism like you would do if somebody's possessed by the devil, but basically breaking Satan's power over a person, which, you know, we talk about freeing from original sin. Mm-hmm. But in the early church, they were, this was symbolically done in a great way. So it was like everything was to the east, right? The rising sun, Jesus rising. So you'd always face east. Um, and it mentions in there about baptism. But in, I, this is the story, and probably true, that in the early church, they would face west for the start of it. And then when they're ready to turn to the east, they would spit. So it'd spit to the west away towards the devil and then turn to the east towards Christ, the rising sun. It's like, nice. I want to do that. But most of the baptisms I celebrate are inside the church and probably shouldn't be spitting there. Might be a, might be a slip hazard. Yeah, uh, might not be best, but it's, it's uh, powerful imagery in the mind. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Right? I yeah. spit on you. Could you imagine hawking a big old loogie? Is that too much? Uh, it's too. That was too much. See, there was the line. There was it, and we were we were skirting it, and then you just yeah. crossed it. <laughs> yeah. And now I truly feel like I'm having a conversation with my baby bro because that's he and I all the time. Like, yeah. like you're like right there, and, we're, and then you just like you just leaped, you leaped way over. Yeah. All good. At least I didn't do it myself. Like, you know, like demonstrate the sound for our people. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And, and people can't see you, but you haven't, you haven't physically done it in front of me either. So, I mean, you're right. That's right. Let's just downplay where you're at and rationalize, rationalize the reality of the situation, which is what we do too. So yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway. sounds like my confession. Exactly. Um, exactly. That was my point. Yeah. All right. So, all right. um, so, okay. We're the name, the sign of the cross, the proclamation of the word, the litany of the saints, the prayers of exorcism, and then we come to, do we come to the water? No, where are we at? Profession of faith. Okay. Yeah, so we're at 1237 the end, so that, um, yeah, this is, this is the faith, of, it, it, so the, basically the, the, the creed, you know, you, and you mm-hmm. say that I do, is do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do, and um, yeah, so in the, so we're entrusted with that faith, like that creed becomes ours, that we're baptized into this this faith, right? And the, the, the creed is broken up into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and about ready to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is, yeah, this is the, uh, the faith of the church that the person's baptized into. Which we talked about that on this before, the, the power of the creed and uh, the importance of the creed. Yeah. And, um, you know, from the earliest of Christianity, that that's what people are dying for, like for the belief in that, that they aren't just empty words that we're saying and, you know, that are just rolling off our tongue. Like they, people have put their lives in, and not only putting their lives. I mean, that's one thing, um, you know, being put to death for this belief in this creed. But, you know, so many people who have been tortured, um, you know, and suffered in excruciating ways for this belief, um, right. like the Lord Jesus himself. So, um, okay, so moving on from that, in paragraph 1238, I have another question for you. Okay. The baptismal water is consecrated by a prayer of epiclesis, either at this moment or at the Easter Vigil. I wanted to just have take a second to ask you to define that for us as well. 
what that word yeah. means, epiclesis. epiclesis. We hear it here, and it happens other places as well in the liturgy. So go ahead and enlighten yeah. us. Uh, it's basically just a calling down of the Holy Spirit. So, um, so we call down the Holy Spirit to, to make the waters of baptism holy. And then we call down the Holy Spirit during Mass, the part where the priest puts his hands over the, the bread and wine, like kind of flat over like a covering tent almost, mm -hmm. is when we, we pray. And that's also the first time the bells are rung, is the epiclesis when we ask the Holy Spirit to come down and transform the, uh, the uh, bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. And it's basically imitating that first epiclesis when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and overshadowed her and made the physical body and blood of Christ present in her womb. So basically this calling down of the Holy Spirit to make Christ present, whether in the body and blood or uh, through water. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah. It's just a fun word that's, you know, not in our yeah. everyday vocabulary. So. Or you could put it in your everyday vocabulary, right? Sure. I mean, you could do like a little mini at home epiclesis every time before you, uh, you eat dinner, right? Call down the Holy Spirit upon this food. I mean, it's not going to change in the body and blood of Christ. It's a turkey sandwich, but I don't know. Just a thought. Okay, Father Son. Turn to Tony at, at like dinner and uh -huh. Tony, would you give us the epiclesis upon this food? Okay. I like, I mean, it's a fun word. I, I, yeah. I do want to work it in. So I'm going to get creative yeah. with that and yeah. call upon Great. the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Thank you. Right. And then we, so we get to the, the so that's for the bat blessing of the water. So sometimes the water's already blessed if it's, you know, during the Easter season. Sometimes, sometimes it's not. Um, the blessing of baptismal water is beautiful. Um, I love one line in it that we ask God to unseal the fount of baptism. Just this idea of like, let's open this thing up so that, uh, so that this person or these people may have new life. It's a, I don't know, it's just a great little, it's a great little line there. So, <laughs> yep. Unseal. Unseal. And then we get to the essential part of baptism. So it calls the essential rite. Like, this is the part that has to happen. And if it's an emergency, this is the only part that has to happen, is where you take water, either pour it over the person three times, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, or do the triple immersion. Mm -hmm. And that's... That they call it the essential rite because that's all that has to happen for for a baptism. So, so can you talk about that, like in an emergency situation? Um, you know, and you know, an infant is just born, and the the prognosis is not looking good, and the parents want to have the child baptized, and there's not a priest that can get there quick enough. So, yeah. in that situation, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I could rant about it, too, because we're in this coronavirus thing, mm -hmm. and there's a certain diocese in the United States, not ours, not in Ohio, that um, said that only gave permission to bap. The priest had to ask the bishop for permission to baptize in an emergency situation, which is ludicrous because um, anybody can baptize in an emergency, right? Let's say, let's say I get, you know, let's say Joe Smith is preparing to come into the church at the Easter vigil and he gets in a car wreck at the, at, on his way to the Easter vigil. And there he is. And they don't think he's going to make it. And the, um, you know, the, the atheist never been baptized ambulance person comes EM, EMT comes and sees him on the side of the road. And Joe, Joe can tell him how to baptize him. Mm -hmm. And you could be a, 
as long as you've got water and as long as you say those words, boom, baptism happens. Mm -hmm. So in an emergency, like all, all bets are off. So for, um, for a bishop to say you have to have his permission to do it in an emergency, it's like you never have to have the bishop's permission to do it in an emergency. You know, our, yeah, a Hindu doesn't need that. So anyways, many rant over. But, but, and you think like, so why? Why is this church so liberal in emergency situations? It's for the good of the person that they may be baptized at, at, uh, at any sense, at any time. And I've done that twice for, for children in the hospital. Uh, praise God, both those children are, are still alive, but, um, but you do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay. So that can be done. I guess that was what I wanted people to be aware of that, that, um, yeah, that with this sacrament of itself, you know, in emergency situations that you could do that. If you happen to be a first responder or you're in that situation that you could baptize. If that's yeah. Wanting to be and done. there's, there's great, speaking of Mother Teresa, there's great stories mm-hmm. of like, you know, in India, there weren't too many Catholics who they would welcome into their homes for the dying. So they had Mother Teresa's sisters, basically, if somebody's dying, they would, and they've never been baptized, they would ask simple questions as much as, do you believe in the God who sent the sisters here to care for you? And if they said yes, they would baptize the person on their deathbed. So there was all of these, you know, like, do you believe in the, the Jesus who the sisters love? And that was enough faith um, for, for them to be baptized. You think about, man, there's so many people stole heaven on their deathbed in Mother Teresa's homes for the dying. Probably still do. So, yeah. Okay, Father Sean, I think this might be a record of tangents and uh, rants that we've gone on on this podcast. I'm just saying. I feel like we've kind of been all over the place, um, but I'm learning a lot. So thank you. So continue yeah. with this because I because we are we are coming to kind of the end of this. So what what final points do you want to with with this of how is baptism celebrated? And what else do you want to yeah. hang out with this? So there's there's things after the baptism that simply signify what baptism has done. So the lighting of the candle, so that they share in the light of Christ, the light of the world. The anointing with chrism as Christ was anointed priest, prophet, and king. <clears throat> Interestingly, in the Eastern Church, this anointing with chrism is, is the sacrament of confirmation. So they're confirmed right there. But there's, we're just anointed in anticipation. So there's those two things, the candle, the, um, the anointing, and then also the garment. That the, the garments, the signif- signification that the person has put on Christ, that they become a, uh, a, new, a new creation with Christ. So they put on a put on a new, a new white garment. And then this didn't make it in here, which is kind of disappointing. There's an optional part where, um, where you touch the child's ears and mouth, just as Jesus did with the blind deaf man and said, uh, I think the prayer is the Lord Jesus made the deaf hear and the mute speak. May he soon touch your ears so that you may hear, um, so that you may hear his faith and that you, your mouth may be open to proclaim it to the praise and glory of God. I'm messing that up somewhere along the ways, but that's the gist of it. So mm-hmm. um, just that all these things signify what's happening in baptism. So they're, they're mystagogy, like they help to unfold the mystery of the gift of baptism through sacramental signs. And I, I think too, at the very end of the, the rite, you know, the, the blessing of the mother, 
blessing of the father and then taking the child, which that was mentioned in here, bringing the baptized yeah. child to the altar and praying the Our Father. Um, it, it points out clearly, and of course, I, I most of us who are listening to this um, probably know this, but baptism doesn't only signify what's happening. It actually brings about death to sin and entry into the life of the Most Holy Trinity and actually brings us into his life as his adopted children, right? Bringing, bringing yeah. us to the point where we can now pray the Our Father as Jesus has taught us, right? That he, he becomes our father. So it's not just to signify, this doesn't just signify this, it's actually happening, right? Right. And that's so important. Much. Um, and so this this idea too that we're, because we hear this a lot, you hear this a lot as you're studying your faith and as you're, um, well, just as you're growing in your faith and your understanding that we are anointed as priests, prophets, and kings. So can you touch on that a little bit too? Like, what does that actually mean? Just just briefly, what do those three things yeah. mean? Um, so basically those, the, the three, it's the threefold ministry of Christ, right? The, the priest, he's the one to offer a sacrifice. It's what a priest did in the old Testament still, you know, in like native American cultures, the priest offers the sacrifice. So Christ offers a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice too. So it's like twofold thing, priest and victim. So he's the priest. He offers a sacrifice to make us holy. He's the King. So he's the ruler. So we in some ways share in the rule of Christ that we're called to and the, the role of a king is to, to rule, especially in generosity. So that's part of the role of the king. And then the prophet is the teacher, right? So we're, we're called to share in all of that aspect of Christ. The prophet to teach about Christ, to share the good news, to, to make holy like the priest would, to, to offer that sacrifice of our life like Christ did, and then to, to rule in generosity as a good king would. So Thank priest, you. prophet, king. Thank you. And then if I can just do one other, like, like plug something that I found helpful on my own journey to remind myself of my own baptism on a daily basis, right? To remind myself that I am a baptized child of God, that I've been baptized, you know, priest, prophet, and king, and what that all entails. There's a company out there called Catholic Balm Co., Catholic Balm Company. Have you heard of them? They make, um, oh. I'm surprised by that because you, you know, you grow a beard every now and again, but that's where they kind of got their start is like these beard balms. Yeah. Okay? But anyway, they, they use, um, they have this, this one, uh, it's not a lotion, I forget what it's even called, but anyway, it has the scent of the chrism. So oh. it's, it's, the, it's that scent that you use, that sweet smell that you can smell on a child or on somebody after they're baptized. And you get this, and so I, you know, could put it on just a little bit as I'm going out, and then you can smell that as you're going through your day. And it does, it reminds you of... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Funny story, I used it once to lotion up my son, and we were at a family gathering, and so people kept smelling it, and like we're looking around, they're like, who just got baptized? Like, what? <laughs> like, they're like looking around, like, why? Am I crazy? I am smelling like the chrism. Why am I smelling that? So I had to laugh that I had lotioned up my son in it. But anyway, just to, I put a little bit of it on myself that just I noticed. But then as you're going about your day, it does remind you of your own baptism and calls to mind this, this call, this entry into life as his as his daughter as his son is baptized priest prophet and king so just yeah. a little simple reminder of something nice. perhaps anything else that we should touch on in this how is baptism celebrated very carefully right i just i had get it right huh? right 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 <laughs> i had i had one memory that came up so uh you know i guess what about over two years ago i had the great honor of baptizing your son mm -hmm. and and afterwards, you sent a little like thank you note with a picture. And mm -hmm. 
the uh, the smile on your husband's face <laughs> is one of the biggest smiles I've ever seen. And so I just wanted to bring that up because it, I have it hanging up and I always see this like, you know, you of course have this face of joy, but there's something about the look on your husband's face that he is like bursting at the seams in that picture of his son's baptism. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. Without a I'm doubt, parent. that's a that's a that's a true story. I, I always kind of imagined, um, you know, we waited so long, my husband and I to have children, and I always kind of imagined as I'm pregnant and carrying this child that I would be the one holding the child as oh, yeah. she was baptized. But that is not how it went down. And as it was being played out, and there was like, there was, there was something in him that day of having his son baptized that, please, there was no way I was saying, hey, can I hold him during all of this? <laughs> so, so we, we let it roll like that. But um, it is um, something profound. Yeah, that was a gift for us too, to have you there and baptizing him. Okay. Okay. Well, anything else, Father Sean? That's about it. Uh, just what we're at next week. Right? Oh, yeah, please. Okay, finally. I threw, okay. I threw the dart, yes. and it landed on paragraphs 2650 through 2660. And the title is The Wellsprings of Prayer. The Wellsprings of Prayer. You were lying to me. I've never lied in my life. That's an accusation, and it hurts. When he threw the dart and he asked me if I wanted to be in suspense, I said, uh, yeah, just wait, tell me at the end. And then he, then he said, and you were very serious. I totally did. I thought you were being serious. You said, okay, but you're not going to like it. And I said, oh, and I wondered this whole time, where are we going that I'm not going to like this? Yeah. It's such a ridiculous thing to say. Like what, what part of the catechism are we like? Oh, yeah, exactly. Like what part of church teaching do I hate? Do I abhor? And that's what I thought. That's what we're, so I was waiting to find out because I didn't know. Oh, uh, the wellsprings uh, of prayer. Oh, I am pumped up. I'm a little disappointed that you thought I was serious. Well, what, what, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said at the last supper, how long have we been together and you still do not know me? I well, seriously, I <laughs> Well played, well played, well played. I, well played. I really, I thought your tone, your tone was just like so. Like I did not pick up sarcasm at all. I really thought, man, I abhor some sort of church teaching, and I'm about to find out what it is. Yeah. Well. All right. Well played, there. Bring in scripture into that too, man. Thanks. Well, you want to pray, out, Julia? Yes. Let's do that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your resurrection. We thank you in a special way for the gift of our baptisms and for this gift that you give us to be to be absolved of our sin and to be brought into relationship with you as your sons and daughters. We ask that you bless all of us all in a special way today. We ask that you bless us as we continue through these 50 days of Easter and our celebration. We ask that you fill us with a renewed zeal and joy for um for your victory over sin and death. And we place all of these intentions and all of our loved ones in our own hearts and all of our and all of who we are and what you created us to be as we pray the words that you have given us together. Our Father, who art in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil amen in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen